Hey everyone, welcome to the Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I have deep conversations with the people who are enabling organizations to become ready for the future of work. My guests include a mindfulness coach, the folks behind Singapore's most popular investment app, and many more. They all have one thing in common, and that is to help level up your organizations through your people. My guest today is a sales storyteller and serial entrepreneur that helps tiny business owners master sales psychology to sell out their service and create more impact. She started and grew an award-winning storytelling agency, VS Story, before she transitioned to run Sales Story Method, where she consults and trains hundreds of small business owners and big companies on how to use more video to close more sales. On the side, she is also preparing for an expedition to the Arctic to produce her first documentary series and raise awareness on climate change issues. Please welcome Yasmin Carter. Thank you, Yasmin. Thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me, Adrian. For people who are not familiar with Sales Method, how would you describe the company to them and what are the problems you are trying to solve? So we're in a mission to help leaders become more effective at how they sell and sell their ideas. One of the things that happens is oftentimes people will just blabber on and they're not able to influence effectively. So we give them the background of the science behind it, how the brain works, what the brain likes, as well as as tools to go ahead and make them more effective. And what motivated you to be in this line of business? So something that I actually struggled with myself growing up, I'm a mix, I'm half Egyptian, half Singaporean. And I also grew up in Saudi Arabia of all places, which was quite challenging as a kid because when I would go to Singapore, I would be Egyptian. When I go to Egypt, I'd be Singaporean. And in Saudi, I was just the weird kid. So throughout my life, I really struggled in terms of speaking up and, and selling my ideas. And then the moment I started to realize what was possible when you did, like my whole entire life changed. And over time, I, people started asking me to help them. And then I realized a few years ago that this is actually completely my mission, um, that I want to help people who are not that great at selling, sell their ideas more effectively, whether it is to customers, to different stakeholders, or even to investors as well. So prior to your current business, were you in any form of sales function? So I've always been doing sales, strangely enough. My first sales experience happened when I was about 11 uh, and I was selling charity tickets. My mom was always raising money for charity. And part of how she, she became number one at doing that is that she would recruit people, right? Because like the next level of selling is how do you get people to sell on your behalf? So I got recruited one day and at the time it was really difficult for me. Cause I only had two friends and then she basically said, go sell these tickets, these charity tickets. And from having two friends to going and speaking to people and asking them for money was a massive shift. And then I learned a lesson there, which was really important that if you don't speak to people, you'll never know if it's yes or no. And when I was in university, I was part of, I went on exchange to um, Canada for a year and I was looking for a job on campus and the choices were limited. So the choice I only had was to go and call alumni and ask them to contribute donations for the alumni appeal. And then also after that, I ended up working for a student organization called Isaac and leading the, the division in Egypt in the Middle East. And for that, I was selling two par corporate partners to get them to support us. So I sort of realized quite quickly that everything we do is selling. And then when I first started my career in oil and gas, I quickly had a side business. And I realized that if I don't master selling and doing it more effectively, it's very, very difficult. And now I'm pretty grateful that I work with some of the best teams in the world where I train their sales teams on how to use story more effectively 
to connect, to stand out, as well as to influence their stakeholders to buy in um, what they're selling. So based on your uh, time in Singapore and other countries, uh, what are some of the specific sales challenges you are seeing today? I think the one thing is, especially now, is the aspect of connection. We used to live in a world where it would be like, you just tell people what you do and people would buy it. And I feel now we're having much more complex solutions. It's not like, you know, come buy a bottle of water. It's more like, hey, we have this software that can really help you. And sometimes the people that you're selling it to might not actually understand the possibility of what's actually there. So how do we actually connect with buyers and then also help them understand complicated solutions that didn't exist, you know, years ago? And is, is this specific to salespeople or do you believe, you know, other functions may also require such kind of training? So it's interesting because initially, like my focus was only on salespeople, um, but I get more and more requests to do also to work with operations teams because oftentimes they're having a really hard time because now with organizations, there's much more stakeholder projects that are happening because it's all about transformation and, and going ahead and digitalizing things. And that means you need to get more stakeholder buy-in. So long are the days where things were working in silo. Now we're working on, on big projects. and. And one of the clients that I, I've been working with for the past two years is actually a bank. And what's always incredible is whenever we run the programs, some of the operations teams come up to me like, oh my gosh, you're going to help us save like half of the meeting times. Because oftentimes they go into a meeting and they think they should take a back roll. And then the sales teams asks for things and then they go ahead and build it, even though they know it won't work, which is like for me quite fascinating. And then they go back and forth. They don't actually go and ask the right kind of questions to make it simple and, and streamlined. So what we're getting is we're getting much more requests also from operations teams who are looking to improve how they go ahead and sell their solutions. And right now we are in the middle of a pandemic. Has that affected the way people sell? It's affected the way people sell because of the fact that Right now, you don't have the face-to-face. -face. And what's really incredible about connection is that majority of times when we're communicating, about 55% of the communication is actually happening through body language. So we're going online. We have people who have fatigue from video conferences or you know, audio conferences, and we're missing out more than half of what was there to influence someone. And most people are not even aware that that's, that's how big difference it is. So when they go on a call, I'm like, why is it not working? What? I'm saying the same thing. It's because of the energy that you're bringing into the meeting. People can pick that up. So now more than ever, like when we're doing online, we need to be able to change our energy on screen. We have to show up with at least two times more energy is because the screen comes in the way and it kills some of the connection. And the fact that we're also missing the fact that the communication that we're working on is not actually verbal it's the non-verbal communication and the last thing is that if you are doing what you used to do which is not not being very clear um because you don't have the options of having the coffee meets and the and the coffee chats you're just going and typically back-to-back -back big meetings where sometimes if you're not articulate it's just a waste of time and sometimes people are also on the call not at all paying attention at all 
Yeah, totally second there. I've been through quite a few meetings where <laughs> it just goes on and on and on, but it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. But back to what you were saying about bringing extra energy, especially when you're doing a video call. Is there any pro tip you have for the people out there? How should they approach in getting more energy or being seen to be a bit more energetic on a call? So I want, so one thing that people always say, like, but I'm not energetic in the first place. You know, why, why would I go ahead and do that? And so the key thing is that when you're going on to a call, are you going on to the call distracted? So the key thing from the very beginning, like one of the tips that I always recommend to my students is before you get on any call, write down everything's on your mind, you know, whatever's on your mind and list down a word of how you feel about it. You know, sending a report to XYZ, I feel anxious so that you can download all your energy and just remembering what you have to go back to after the call. Because if you're coming into a call and you're bringing in like, you know, overwhelmed energy, the person will pick it up. And then also when you get on the call is, are you clear? What is the purpose of this call? Like, is there like a key takeaway? Like what are we going to be talking about? What is going to be success metrics to go ahead and do that? And why are you interested in doing that? So if you're getting clear a little bit and like positioning yourself in, in your mind, what's the point of this, then you're going in with that intention versus going in and being like, oh, I have a call. Because how I like to describe it, which is a really silly analogy, but works really well, is that everyone today, especially now with COVID, energetically wise, they're like a low end dying Duracell battery, right? So the energy is so low. They're like at home, they're worried, they're stressed. If they have kids, the kids are screaming, um, they have to manage things. And they have to also adapt working from an environment that may not be conducive for work, right? So if you're going in with the same low Duracell dying battery, people are going to be like the same. But if you go in and you're more energetic and you become a little bit like the, the USB charger for your battery, you bring in so much more enthusiasm, you bring in much more excitement, and people actually want to pay attention to what you're doing. And that's what it calls psychology, like a pattern interrupt. Because people are expecting someone to show up the same way that they're showing up. And if you come in with a little bit more energy, they're going to mirror that energy and they're going to feel excited about doing that as well. I, I personally have been doing a fair bit of public speaking uh, and I have a good friend who is also a public speaker. And for him, it's always seemed a lot easier because he is such an outgoing person. Whereas for me, I'm an extrovert and sometimes I struggle. For introverts out there, especially when it comes to non-physical meeting, non-physical discussion such as Zoom, would the method be slightly different or is it is just preparation the key to all this? So I actually don't like people. <laughs> it sounds really terrible, but I like like quiet a lot, which is quite funny compared to the job that I do. But I think it's also about when you show up, you don't have to be extroverted to show up with energy. It's just that when you're showing up for that 30 minutes, that one hour, can you show up with a bit more intention? And I think when you show up with more intention, that brings more energy because most people are going in, they have no energy, no intention, no clear message. And that's the problem is that you have people who are going into meetings where they're there for the meeting's sake, but there's no purpose of that at all. So I think once you start clearing your mind of what's on it, like all those big to-do lists, then you can be really present and focused. And that's what most of the time the energy comes from is like, are you on the call focused on who you're speaking to? Or are you on the call looking at your phone, you know, scrolling through something else on your computer or your browser, or are you paying attention? Because most of the time people are, are doing that 
And then when you have that together, it has a lot of energy decline versus energy uh, showing up. And for yourself, given the situation right now, are you also shifting your delivery to Zoom and online? Yeah. So all our programs now are on Zoom, are on WebEx, or on Teams. Uh, it depends on the customer which they use. Some people are pro something to something else. But also in terms of the way learning has, has put into place has also changed because now we need to look at ways to engage online. And what's really interesting is when you're in a meeting together offline, whether it's with a team or something, people typically can focus for up to about 15 minutes at a time. But when you're online, people are only focused from five to seven minutes. So that means like the way we speak online, the way we communicate online has to change because it's not the same as what we had before in an office or in a meeting where we had the luxury of the fact that people would focus for like more, like more than double the time. I would imagine that it's going to be very challenging for trainers like yourself to condense a typical, I don't know, one, one off half day, full day session into bite sizes of five to seven minutes. How do you handle that? So I'm still learning. There's things that I still am figuring out. So one of the things that I've been doing is I've redesigned my training material to be where more conversational. So ask more questions, there's more polls, the, everything is kind of designed where it's a way to engage. Having more people volunteer instead of just you training, how can it be more facilitated by getting someone to walk through the exercise versus just like doing it themselves. In an offline meeting, that would be the case. People would do it themselves and then they would share it. This now we're like, let's do it together, let's walk us through, and then you do it yourself. So it's just like changing how things are done dynamically. And that's also the same thing that applies for meetings when you're meeting with your team and with your customers is if you put that in consideration and put that in mind, it changes very much the way we speak about things versus if we go ahead and just talk about things for talking sake. You, Given you've been in a few countries, I'm not sure, are you able to see any way, any difference that people sell in Singapore versus how people sell in Saudi or Egypt? I think it's also a big part of that is actually through culture. So when I train with teams, I train teams in Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Vietnam, Thailand, and you're going to find also the Philippines. And what you're going to find is like countries like, for example, the Philippines or in, in Vietnam, it's very social in a sense. So it's very much relationship based in terms of it's a lot more time getting to know someone personally versus some places else where it might be quite direct and to the point. So it really depends not only on individual, but also on a cultural basis. And then also the fact that before you would go out, you would, you would meet someone for coffee, you would have a drink with them, a, a lunch with them. Now all those things are being taken away. It's about how do we just adjust to, to working online. Um, and hopefully things are going to go back a little bit, a little bit to normal, not that much, but a little bit to normal because of the loosening of the, of the, the constraints that are happening by the government. Across all these countries that you have thought in, are there any common themes, any common uh, things that they're doing correctly, and, and especially the common mistakes that you're seeing again and again in different countries? Yeah, so the biggest mistake, which is something that I work with on my programs, is the fact that most of the time, sometimes what happens is when you are in a sales role, you show up and you speak to your customer and you use the same examples with everyone you speak, right? The same examples. But even if you do the same examples, what's mastery level is like, how do we customize depending on who you're speaking to? 
And the biggest principle that we base everything we teach in the sales story method is that sales storytellers are problem solvers. So when we talk to our customer, if our customer is worried about retention, if our customer is worried about success of their service, if the customer is worried about you know, delivery beyond time, right? One of my clients right now is, is in supply chain. Um, that's what your customers are worried about. You have to speak from that perspective. And oftentimes what happens, the mistake I see is that people speak quite generically and not specific to what your customer is going through. The second mistake that I see that is people perceive that in sales, you have to be great at pitching. I think the days of pitching is over. Now we're at a time is like, how are you listening and how are you adjusting depending on who is talking? And that's why when we talk about using stories to sell, it's not about pitching. It's about how do we use stories to help our customers shift how they see the problem? Because if our customer thinks that the problem is A, but we actually the problem is actually B, you can't say to someone, hey, actually the way you're doing it is wrong. It's actually, this is the problem. Instead, we can say like, look, I had another customer who had the same understanding. And they had tried fixing this problem for about a year. And when they came to us, they realized that they had to change. And that's why, you know, we did one, two, and three with them. But having that in place, we're able to shift from that pitch to be like, let me educate. Let me go ahead and be a lawyer and, and build a case for you. And then let me, at the end of this whole discussion, act like a doctor to you by recommending the best advice I would have for someone in your situation. And that's what's happening with sales. It's no longer about pitching. It's about shifting to what's much more of multifunctional, multi-role in a sense uh, to get someone to connect more and to buy into what you have to say. On top of trying to create a better story to sell, would data be an important aspect to help guide the decision-making? Yeah, for sure. So one of my favorite professors in the whole entire world is a, is a man called Gerald Zutman, who talks about consumer psychology in, in Harvard. And one thing that people don't realize is that 95% of everything that we are uh, selling is based on emotion, right? And then people say like, but what about the data? What about the logic? It's like, well, first you got to get somebody quite excited about it, talking to it by the problem sense. But when we're building the case, because data is so prevalent today and data can share and like, you know, validate a story even more, that 5% mess is done through data. But the problem that I see the mistake that people make is like, let's use data to sell, great, but there's no story behind it. So if you're kind of saying, hey, this can help you increase something by 12%, out of context, it makes no sense. But in the context of pulling someone towards you, getting them to be bought in emotionally, and then using the data to justify the logic, that's where data is magically seen and magically implemented. So in a way, data is more of the icing on the cake, whereas the cake, of course, is the way you draft your story to make it a compelling reason why you should consider this solution because it's going to benefit you, not because I want to sell it to you. Exactly, right? Because as long as we put it in that position, and I'll give you an example of this, like it's, it's the most horrible way ever. But last year, I remember someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and I like meeting people on LinkedIn. I think it's a really cool way to meet people. That's how we met as well, right? But we met up for a coffee and he was like, oh, tell me about yourself. I shared about myself. And then he was like telling me about himself, but he wasn't telling me about himself. He was basically pitching to me what his company was doing. And the problem at that point is, first of all, 
it's unsolicited. I never asked, but he never even asked to qualify. He never asked to say like, hey, can I help you with this? But if he did ask me if I needed that help, I would have told him yes, because I was looking for that solution. And if he had used data to help, you know, build a case in terms of why them versus somebody else, I would have totally been sold. Sold. But because he hadn't done that, I he lost me as a customer. Even though now that I look at his company, they're actually pretty good. But it's because I got really turned off because he went and he pitched when I didn't ask to be pitched to. This story actually reminds me of quite a number of job seekers I come across because I have quite a large network on LinkedIn and often than not, I get a few people connecting with me, asking me if I have jobs to recommend for them. And to some extent, I always feel that a, a, a job search is somewhat like a sales process, just that you're selling yourself. How would you give any form of advice to job seekers out there to better their sales pitch, to, to better what they're trying to achieve here? Yeah. I love that because like this year I've had other people also reach out to me and I'm the kind of person where I'm a connector by nature. So I will connect you if I can, but I need to know you. I need to know that, for example, whoever I'm going to connect you with, I can actually trust. And just really looking for a job. If I have no experience with you, I have no relationship with you, um, then I'm not interested in doing that connection. So when it comes to looking for a job, especially in this time, in the end of the day, long are the days of like pitching on high through job portals because of all the algorithms. If you don't know how to actually hack it, you are really going to struggle. But we also live in a time where because of social media, you can actually just start building your brand around a certain topic that makes you an expert. And if you don't know that the topic very well, like how can you still like reach out and to people and ask them for support? Like say, Hey, like I'm sharing, um, if you're looking for a job in, let's say like digital innovation, right? How can you reach out to people who are in that slot? And instead of just asking them for a job, why don't I say, hey, I'm starting a series where I'm interviewing people or I'm asking people for tips and then build some kind of relationship with somebody. And then at the end say, hey, you know, thank you for support. I'm also looking for a role in this place. But instead people are trying to like just ask and now we live in a time where trust is such a big currency. And if you haven't built any form of trust with somebody, it becomes kind of hard to make bigger asks because I'm not going to recommend someone that I have no experience with, I've never connected with, I've never seen how they work. Because in the end of the day, that's my reputation. And the same for you, I'm guessing, Adrian. Just because someone's asking you for a job, it's like, but I don't know you. I never worked with you. How can I recommend you if I have nothing to base it off of? Yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, are you going to hold any training programs for job seekers very soon? I haven't thought about it, actually. Maybe we can work on together and it's kind of because you're obviously in the world of HR to support them. But that's not really my focus. The, the focus is really about how do we make sure that we're communicating more effectively? Because for me, like if you're able to learn how to master that, then you can get a better job. You can get a better promotion and so forth. But specifically for job seekers looking for a job, that's not really an area that I'm focused on. Uh, given they've been doing this for f- quite some time now, what has been the key turning points or crucibles in your journey to hit you that you're on the right track? So I think it's oftentimes just the response back from customers and also the fact that like our customers always recommend us to other people. And that for me is like, wow, okay, this is actually specifically focused down. And then everything that we teach, we actually also practice ourselves. 
So for us, that's the biggest part of just showing up with integrity. And it's something that our customers, when they come to us, they see that we actually do what we say we do versus like some people who just teach, but they don't have to do what they say they're going to do. And then also the fact that over the past two years of doing this full time again, I'm just seeing how our clients come back year after year, uh, new clients come to us. We're going to be rolling out a new program in October called Unforgettable Storyteller, which is going to be the first B2C kind of program that we're having all around how to become better at telling stories. So before even launching these things, people have come up to us like, hey, can you please help me extra outside of this corporate world? So it kind of feels like the market is asking for what we actually have been doing. And the people who have been doing the work with us have gotten amazing results. So what's next for you on the roadmap? So the key focus is that we're rolling out in, in October a new program called the Unforgettable Storyteller, which is a six-week group program where it's all about, first of all, learning how to master um, that inner story, the story that you might be getting in the way, that you might be telling yourself. Because when I'm running a program, you know, whether it's for a sales team or an operations team, a big part of it is what you believe is to be correct. And that inner belief structure oftentimes is a big kind of conflict to get a story shared and out there. So once we're able to kind of identify and understand what the stories are, then from there, it's about learning how to go ahead and craft better stories so that you can stand out more effectively. And then from there, how do we actually share them effectively? And how do we track that what we're sharing is actually working for us? So are the numbers changing? Are the games changing and so forth? Because once we're able to do that, then we become more effective in how we go ahead and share things. And is this training open for application right now? Well, yes, but there's no page online yet. But we're going to be having that online next Monday, actually. Great, great. So I'll put the link in the show notes. So for people who is interested to find out more, you can go and check it out. So for, for people who would be interested to find out more about your training, where can they go to? So they're going to be able to go to the website called unforgettablestoryteller.com. And that will be the landing page that we're going to be having where people can sign up for the wait list so they can get more information to when we launch in October. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll be putting this in the show notes. And Yasmin, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lovely conversation with you. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I did. Thank you very much. It was lovely meeting you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this podcast and the episodes out to more people who may find it useful. I will see you in the next episode of The Agent Tan Show.